We've been talking about God's sovereignty, and this is kind of the, I think this is the fourth Sunday. I think we're going to have just two more Sundays on this. Um, but this has just been helping me so much, man. It has been helping me. It helps you understand better why things are the way that they are and why we are the way that we are and how this world has gotten to the place that it is, right? Um, but next, the next couple of Sundays, we're going to be finding out how we and God's sovereignty can team up to change the world, to change the world, all right? We play a, a definite part in all of this. So, Lord God, open our hearts, open our minds, and let us receive what you have for us today. In your name I pray, amen. I'm not going to attempt to summarize the last couple of Sundays because I'm going to do that at the very end of this message. We're going to launch right into Genesis 3.8. And we're going to continue to see how from the beginning, God's sovereignty uh, was uh, applied in a certain way. He delegated a certain amount of authority and sovereignty to us. And we're going to see a couple of other things. So if we can see how it was from the beginning, we can see why things are the way that they are today and what we can do to impact this world. All right. So let's just launch into this in Genesis 3.8. We're looking at Adam, Eve. We're looking at Noah. We're looking at the sons of Adam to see how things panned out the way that they did and how that uh, was affected by God's sovereignty. So in Genesis 3.8, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden, but the Lord called to man and said, where are you? How many times have, has God asked, had to ask, where are you? <laughs> because you or me, we were either hiding, we were running away, we were off on our own, and God asked, where are you? <laughs> God's sovereignty chases us. Did you know that? God's sovereignty chases us. Each and every one of us should be able to look back and say, I am where I am today because God chose to reach out and grab hold of me even when I didn't want to be grabbed hold of. But implicitly, here we see again that man had the choice to walk with God or to hide. He had the choice. God, in the cool of the day, routinely would walk, and Adam and most likely Eve would walk with God, and they would just simply talk to one another in communion. And so man had this choice. He had the choice of walking with God. Let me ask you, you have the choice of walking with God. Are you walking with God right now? Because it's your choice. He's left that up to you. He's walking with an empty space beside him. Are you there to reach that empty space and walk with God? It's your choice. He's not going to make you do it is my point. He's going to ask you, will you come walk with me and talk to me and listen to me? Or are you going to go out on your own, away from me, and do your own thing? So we have that choice. But we flip back up to Genesis 3.1, and we hear about the serpent, the infamous serpent, uh, who is crafty more than all the other wild animals that the Lord had made. And he says to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from this tree in the garden? Now, let me tell you what, before man ever fell, do you know what it means to fall? You know what it means to fall, obviously. Fell from righteousness into sin, like we're all living in today in our addictions 
in our lusts, in our failures, in our whatever, all the weaknesses. How many weaknesses do you have? Think about it. Try to count them off real quick. Do you have a bunch of weaknesses? That's from the fall of Adam. If he hadn't fallen, <laughs> we might not have the weaknesses that we're, we're, uh, we, we have today. But you know what? Before the fall, Adam test, or God tested Adam. God tested Adam. Remember, he put two trees right in the middle of the garden, visible, available, and tested Adam and said, you can eat from this tree, but you can't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He put it right there in the middle of, of does the God tempt us? No, but he definitely tests us. He tests us. How can our kids go from one grade to the next grade if we don't test them to find out how well they're doing? There's people out there that don't want tests for kids. I'm telling you, we can over-test kids, and I think we're probably in that place today. <laughs> but at the same time, we need tests in our lives to be able to progress and move forward and know if we know what we do know or find out if we don't know it. God tests us. Have you ever been tested by God? Yeah, you've been tested by God. He put something hard in your life, a, a challenge, a problem, a difficulty, maybe a sickness, maybe a financial shortfall, whatever, a relationship problem. He allowed that sovereignly to happen to test you. The Bible tells us why he tests us, to see what's in our hearts. That's why God tests us. Because when the pressure starts building in, what comes out of you? <laughs> a curse word? <laughs> what comes out of you? You know, screaming and yelling? Maybe sometimes those things need to come out of you so they can get out of you so that they're no longer in you anymore. I don't know. I don't know if that's appropriate uh, teaching or not. But the stress pre pressures us to see what's in us. And you think right now of your stressful situation, God is testing you. God is testing you. There's nothing wrong with being tested in life. There's nothing wrong with it. God intended it to, to be that way. It's interesting that uh, his test was through a talking snake. And I said the other day, if you ever hear a snake talking to you, don't, don't listen to it, right? Don't listen to any talking snakes. They're usually bad news. What are talking snakes? Lying thoughts, thoughts that keep you up at night. You can't go to sleep because that thought keeps going on and on in your head. You're listening to a talking snake <laughs> is what's happening. Turn it off and turn God on. Actually, turn God on, and then he'll help you turn off that, that voice. But the point is, is Adam and Eve had dominion over this garden. There was, I don't know if there was a fence around the garden. I don't know if there was parameters, but there was definitely a garden with some, some uh, delimitations around it. They had dominion over that garden, but that snake seems to have slithered into that garden, slithered right into the middle of that garden. And now I'm, I'm going a little far. The Bible doesn't tell us if it was this way, but probably slithered up on the very tree that they weren't supposed to eat from and was just sitting there. They had several opportunities to kick that snake out of the garden. And you, your life is like a garden as well. You have dominion over your life, whether you feel like it or not, whether you believe it or not. And you can kick things out of your life if you want to. 
But you got to decide to do it. God's given you the choice. He's given you the choice. And that snake slithered right into the middle of their life, right into the decision point of their life, and they had to make a decision now to listen or not listen, take the snake by the tail, throw it out. I don't know, but they had let that happen. I um, heard this story once. It was not a story. It's a, a little tidbit in some article I was reading. And there was a guy that was watching a snake try to get into the shack. There was a shack, and that snake went all the way around that little shack trying to find some little crevice that it could crawl through. Let me tell you what the enemy is trying to find a foothold in your life. He's trying to find a foothold in your life. And you know what? God's letting him <laughs> try to find a foothold in your life. That's the test. And you got to say, I'm not, I've had it with the enemy. I've had it with these thoughts. I've had it with this addiction. I've had it with this relationship. I've had it with these lies. I'm sick and tired of it. God, I need your help. And God's sovereignty will come in and help you take dominion over the enemy and throw him out of your life. Expel him. Don't engage with him. Don't talk to the devil. If he's telling you, you can't do it, you can't do it, don't talk to him. Ignore him. Ignore him. Let him go in one ear and right out, the, right out the other side. Don't engage him in your mind. There's no use for that. But how do you pray for someone who's being tested like this? God's letting people go through tests. There's no doubt about it. How do you pray for them? Well, I love this. In Luke twenty-two thirty-two, and you can jot this down, or it's in, it's in the readings for this week. Luke twenty-two thirty-two. it says, Jesus says, Simon... I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail you. But when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. Do you get that? How do I pray for someone who's going through a test? I say, God, don't let their faith fail them. Don't let their connection with you fail them. See, we want to pray, God, take it out, take them out of it. Make their life easy again. And God say, no, not yet. They need to go through through this test so that their faith can be proven strong. And so we pray, God, don't let their faith fail them. You can pray that for yourself as well. If you're going through a trial, I guarantee you every single person in this room is going through a trial of some sort, maybe two or three or ten of them. Who knows? You know what we need to do? Pray for yourself. God, don't let my faith fail. Don't let my faith, that's that plug into God. Don't let my connection into you fail. 1 Corinthians 10 is, a, is another way that we can pray when we are going through tests or someone that we love and care for is going through a test. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, No temptation is overtaking you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. So you pray, God... And, and it goes on, it says, he will provide a way to escape so they can bear up under it. So we pray, God... Lord, open that window up there of escape and let me be able to escape from the pressure, the undue evil of this temptation that I'm going through. We talked about this a while back. We pray, God, deliver me from all evil. See, you can go through a test when you're not going through the evil of the test. And God, the enemy comes right in when you're going through a hard time and he puts evil there. And so we say, God, deliver me from the evil so that I can bear up and go through that test without too much stress. So we can pray that way. And lastly, we can pray what James 1, 2 through 5 says. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith 
produces perseverance. So here's another way we can pray. God, give me joy in the midst of my testing. God, listen to this one, give me perseverance in the middle of my testing so that I don't give up and be a quitter. How many quitters do we have in here? Anybody a quitter? Don't be a quitter. Where are you going to quit to? Back to the old mess that you were in? Stop quitting. Don't give up. Press through to the new level that you've never been at before. How can you know what it's like if you don't get there? Persevere through the trial and don't give up. We can also pray, as verse 4 of James 1 says, uh, let perseverance finish its work so that we may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. We can pray, God, make me full and complete and mature. Teach me what I need to know so that I can move forward in you. And lastly, in verse 5, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask of God who gives it generously to all. So we pray for the person. We pray for ourselves that's going through a trial. Give me wisdom. What does that mean? Well, when you're in the midst of the battle and you're getting attacked from every side, what if you could be plucked up for 30 seconds up above everything and you look down and you see the whole picture and you see, ah, just a little bit longer and I'm there. Just a little bit longer. And then 30 seconds later, you're put right back down, but now you have perspective. And you can beat your enemies with that perspective and you can get through to the freedom that you're looking for. We ask for wisdom. So these are some ways that you can pray for folks. And God's sovereign sovereignty through your prayers will answer those prayers and you will get through what you're going through. But let's continue, continue reading here. Genesis 3.23 so the Lord God banished, I'm, I'm getting just little snippets here about Adam, but Genesis 3.23, so the Lord God banished Adam from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed him on the east side of the Garden of Eden, or he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim with a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So Adam and Eve sinned, uh, and God kicked them out of the garden. Did Adam have any say in being kicked out? No, this was God. His sovereignty said, you're out of here, and you're never, ever coming back again. God's sovereignty his choice. Man had no choice in the matter except that he could have made the right decision. In that, he had a choice. But when he made the wrong choice, God, listen to this, he enforced the consequences of man's decisions. He enforced the consequences of man's decisions. When we sin, when we mess up, there are consequences. There are consequences. And God, from that point forward, said, I will never, ever not enforce the consequences of your poor decisions. Well, you say, well, that puts me in a world of hurt then, because I have made so many bad choices and so many bad decisions. What is my predicament? Well, Jesus took on all the consequences of yours and my poor decisions, and he bore them all on the cross. God so loved the world. So there's a there's a powerful word. He so loved it that he was disfigured 
beyond all recognition from the beatings, the torture. He took all the punishment on us. God enforced the consequences of my sin and put it on his son, Jesus. Unbelievable. But here we see that Adam bore some consequence of his sin. Let me tell you what. Generally, if we smoke a lifetime, we will have lung disease. If we drink a lifetime, we'll have liver disease. <laughs> if we gamble a lifetime, we'll be in the poorhouse. All right. But even in those cases, God's grace says, you know what? I'm going to take that sickness off of you because I placed it on my son. I'm going to take your poverty because of your bad decisions and I placed it on my son and I'm still going to provide for you. That's called the grace of God. That's called the grace of God. So we see again, man, God's sovereignty. It's just unbelievable despite man's decisions. So in Genesis 4, 2, a little moving forward a little bit here, we read of two sons that Adam and Eve had, Abe and Cain, Abel and Cain. All right. And so Abel uh, took care of flocks. He was like a shepherd. Cain took care of the soil. He was like a farmer. In the course of time, Cain brought some fruit of the soil as an offering to the Lord and Abel brought an offering of the fatty portions of some of his firstborn of the flock. Listen, these two men, these two guys, I don't know, maybe they're teens, maybe they're already full grown, I don't know. But they voluntarily brought something to God. God didn't make them do it. See, there's that freedom of choice still there. God has delegated us the ability to make decisions in life, and both these men did that. They voluntarily brought something to the Lord. The first example of a tithe or offering. Isn't that amazing? There was no law. Give your money to God. No, it was in them to do this. Isn't that, isn't that something? It was in them to give back, uh, to offer back what was already God's. So we continue to read, the Lord looked with favor, though, on Abel and his offering, but on Cain's offering, he did not look with favor. favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? Let me tell you what. You have control over your emotions. Do you hear that? Fits of rage, you can control them. Sorrow and depression you can control it. <laughs> he has given you control over your emotional state. We need to remember that. God didn't force Cain to get mad. He didn't predetermine that at that point in time Cain would get mad. God said, you have free will over your emotions. We can't forget that. Verse 7, if you do what's right, God said, Will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what's right, listen to this ugly picture. Sin is crouching at your door. Have you ever seen these gargoyles on these, on these gothic cathedrals in Europe where there's this ugly, disfigured, demonic-looking figure that's just crouched? That's the picture that I get of, of sin crouching at my door. Is that, if that not gives you the heebie-jeebies, man, I don't know what, what does. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. Well, that gets even creepier. <laughs> Sin, desire, evil, desires to have you. It's crouching at your door. Listen to this. Here's what God tells him. But you must rule over it. He told Cain, you 
We're, we're destined to rule over evil that's trying to get at you. All right? That's for every single... We're the offspring of, of Adam. God wants you to rule over your sin. He wants you to rule over the evil that's trying to get at you. He never intended for evil to rule over you. But here we do see a, a third sovereign force. We see the sovereign force of God... God delegating some of his sovereignty to you and me as a sovereign force. And then we see the sovereign force of evil. There's three sovereignties here in this world. They're constantly at battle, one with another. And so um, it, here's the deal. Have you, we, we talked about this, but some of you weren't, weren't here to hear this. Have you ever heard of fatalism? Que sera, sera. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. I can't control anything, so I'm not going to try anymore. And we talked about this several Sundays ago. Predeterminism, where God, this is a theory, God predetermines everything that happens in the universe, both good and bad. He chooses some to go to heaven, some to go to hell. That's what people, I'm not saying I believe this truth, okay? I'm just saying that's, that's a belief that's out there. That belief does not acknowledge the force of evil in our world. Because it says God is, is at fault for everything, both good and bad. But that's not the case. Because evil here in the story of the beginning is alive and well and is trying to exert its influence on human beings as it has to this very day. God's sovereign will is for you and those that you love to sovereignly rule over evil. That's his sovereign will. He wants you to rule over evil, not have evil rule over you. He says, overcome good, overcome evil with good. You can do it. God's given you the tools. You're not a victim anymore. How many victims do we have in here? No, we're victors through Christ Jesus. You're not a victim of poverty. You're not a victim of addiction. You're not a, a, a victim of anything of your boss. You're a victor through Christ Jesus. You need to start living in who you are in him. You open your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. You're a new creation. You are unstoppable. Nothing can get in your way anymore. You're a powerhouse in this world. We need to start thinking that way and realizing that. Otherwise, we're going to be something less. How do I know this? Well, in Colossians 2.13 through uh, 15, we've read this before, but I'll read it again because it's so good. It says, when you were dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. That sovereignty of God came in and breathed new life into you. He forgave all our sins. Having canceled, canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he had taken away and nailed it to the cross. Listen to this. Having disarmed powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. When Jesus died, he made you into a victor with him. He took the crown, but he shares the crown with you. You and I, we will reign with Christ Jesus if, in fact, we open our hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ to come into our lives. So what does this mean to, to us? Well, we see in Romans 8, 37 through 39, it says, No, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Are you living a conquered life or are you living a conquering life? It's your decision. 
You can, you can live the rest of your life negatively thinking that nothing ever good happens to you, that you're inept, that you're unable, and God's saying, no, 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 no. You are a conqueror. Live it, believe it, exemplify it. Stop, stop walking in the mud and start <laughs> walking in this highway of holiness that Isaiah talks about. I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, demons, listen to that, angels or demons, neither present nor future, or powers or anything, anything that's height or depth or anything in all of creation will separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus. And if you come tonight, I'm going to tell you something else about the love of God, man. We are loved of God. Listen, this is the title of t- tonight's message is stop bragging about how much you love God and start bragging about how much he loves you. That, that's a life changer right there. All of a sudden, it's all on his shoulders and not my shoulders. But what else? What else is, is the result here of... of um, if I can grab this page and flip it over. <laughs> what else is, is, is this uh, the result of God's sovereign will not wanting us to be ruled by, by our enemies, by evil, excuse me. Ephesians 1.18, it says, I pray, and Sister Martha gave this word on Wednesday night, just bless me beyond all measure. Ephesians 1.8 says, 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, for his holy people, his incomparably great power for those who believe. And we know now, anytime the scripture mentions power and authority, it's talking about the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. It says that same strength that raised Christ from the dead and seated him. Listen to this. Seated him at the right hand in heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power, dominion, every name that's invoked. Not only in the age, uh, present age, but in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him head over everything in the church. Listen, that's, that's where he put Jesus. Now listen, in Ephesians 2, 4, the next chapter, it says in, in 2, 6, it says God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with, with him in heavenly realms as well. God wants you to rule over in evil. He doesn't want evil to rule over you. So let's stop letting it happen. Start making some choices. Stop being so negative. Stop thinking you can't do it. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Stop it already. Stand up. Be a man. Be a woman of God and live the way God expected you to live in the identity that he's given you. We read on in verse 8 of Genesis 4. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go into the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacks his brother Abel and kills him. The first chaotic event of history was only one generation from Adam. (laughs) Two brothers, one murdering the other. Only God's sovereignty can stop the chaos of our world. Did you know that? Only the sovereignty of God can interfere with all the chaos that's going on. I'll give you an example. I'm sure a lot of other people were praying, but I was praying for this last hurricane. And I prayed, God, turn that hurricane and let it go back into the sea, ocean. I'm sure other people were praying as well. I'm not in any way taking credit for that. But that hurricane did exactly that. (laughs) 
It sweeped up. It caused some damage along the East Coast, but it swept up, and it went against almost every predicted model that the Weather Service has and went back out into the ocean. God's sovereignty makes things happen and counteracts evil in this world. I heard of this. I think this was in South, somewhere in Southeast Asia. There was a tsunami coming in. And uh, what's that? Oh, I can't remember the name of that country. It's a very well-known country. But anyways, there's a tsunami came in. And as the tsunami was coming, there was a coastal little town where a pastor felt inclined to pray for his little town. And he prayed all night long for his little town. That tsunami came in and wiped out all kinds of towns inland. Didn't touch that one coastal little town. I'm telling you, it's time to start believing in the sovereignty of God and praying to God, our sovereign God, to overcome and counteract the evil that goes on in this world. Amen. Amen. We can pray for our city and evil things will stop happening in this city. We pray for God's sovereignty, the kingdom of heaven. Lord, your kingdom be established in this town, in this city. Your will be done in this town. I don't want to see evil happening here anymore in the name of Jesus. We're going to start seeing things turn around. But why don't they? Because we haven't really conceived of God's sovereignty. And we're walking around in some deficient identity that's not even our own. We need to believe who we are in Christ. You're a son, you're a daughter, you're an heir, you're a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You've been seated with him in heavenly realms far above every evil, far above everything, every authority, every power. So we read on in verse 9 of Genesis 6. It's Genesis 4, excuse me. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother, Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? And that's a big problem with us churchy people, right? Who's my brother? You're my brother. You're my sister. If I'm not seeing you, I need to be checking up on you. You need to be checking on up on each other like Brother Jimmy says. Look at the empty chairs. See who's missing. Give them a call. Text them. Stop by their house. Pop up in, the, in front of their front door all of a sudden. Ask them if they're okay. You're my brother. You're, we are each other's brother's keepers. We should care enough about each other that way. He says, I don't know where my brother is. The Lord says, what have you done? This wasn't some predetermined fatalistic thing that one brother killed the other. Cain voluntarily murdered his brother. And, G and God said, what have you done? See, when we appear before the Lord, we're not going to be able to say, oh, it's my addiction. I couldn't help it. No, he's not, that's not going to count. <laughs> oh, no, I, I couldn't help it. My lust was out of control that I slept with 20 women and got five of them pregnant. That's not going to count, you know. I, you know, I, I'm sorry, I couldn't, I, I couldn't help myself. I gambled my, my savings away. That's not going to count. We're going to stand before the Lord. And he's going to say, what have you done with my son Jesus? What have you done? I want to make sure I've got the answer to that question down pat every day of my life for the next however many years I live or days that I live so that I can confidently stand before the Lord and say, I took your son Jesus into my heart, and he changed my life. And I influenced the world around me for good while I had a chance to do it. Man, what have you done? That's, that's terrifying. 
Did you know that my influence can literally send people to hell or send them to heaven? <laughs> the Bible says, watch your life and your doctrine carefully and that, that you and your hearers might be saved. I want to influence my world for the good, not for bad. So he says, listen, your brother's blood calls out to me from the ground. Now you're under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield crops for you. You will be a restless wonder again. God sovereignly imposes and enforces a punishment for what was it for what happened. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear today. You have driven me from the land. I will be hidden from your presence. Did God say that Cain would be hidden from his presence? If you go back, you see, that's not even there. Cain's making up stuff now. <laughs> He's making up stuff. He says, I'll be hidden from your presence. I'll be a restless wonder in the earth. Whoever finds me will kill me. God didn't say that part either. He's added a couple of things in there, as we always do. We make up stuff. We, we, we embellish stuff. And we get the wrong story. But the Lord said to him, not so. You got it wrong, Cain. You misheard what I said. Yeah, your life is going to be miserable, but I didn't say some of the things that you just repeated back to me. He said, anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain that no one, anyone who would find him would not kill him. Well, I think at this point, there's probably only four people on earth. I might be wrong about this. Adam, Eve, Cain, Abel's gone. So actually three people. All right. Who on earth was he worried was going to kill him? I'm not quite sure what was going through his mind. The man was very in tune with evil. And I think that's what was bothering him. <laughs> he was very in tune with evil. But look at what God does. Did Cain deserve this to be protected from being killed? What do you call it when what you deserve is withheld from you? mercy God sovereignly said no one's killing Cain even though he deserves it is the first act of mercy from the beginning God wasn't influenced by anybody when God said you're not going to die you're not going to be killed by anybody even though you deserve it first act of mercy it reminds me of Romans 9 14 and 15 that says what shall we say then is God unjust not at all for as Moses said that God said I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. You say, I don't deserve it. God says, I don't care. I'm giving it to you anyways. And he does that for every single soul, even a serial killer, even a serial rapist. God shows mercy. God shows mercy. So if he can do it for the extreme, can he do it for you? Would you not please accept God's mercy in your life? So we see also, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this in Genesis 4, 20 through 22, that God gives gifts and purpose to those first people on earth, just as he did to Abraham, just as he did to Adam, excuse me. He gave some of them the ability to play instruments and others to, uh, I, I can't remember what each and everything was, but he, he gave gifts to men and he's given gifts to you too. Don't you ever for a second say, I'm worthless, I'm no good, I'm unable God has blessed you with a purpose. He's blessed you with gifts. And the Bible says, as I mentioned last Sunday, he doesn't take them away from you, even if you misuse them.
Isn't that amazing what God does? But then in Genesis 4.26, it says, In that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. And this is so significant to the sovereignty of God because what had happened is people started doing their own thing, making their own decisions, and seeing what kind of miserable life that led to. All right? If they'd had drugs back then, they were shooting up and seeing what that did for them. If they, if they had lust, they saw that what happened when, when you sleep around. All right? They saw all the bad results of living a bad life, and they saw that evil could actually rule over them, and they got so miserable that they called on God's sovereignty and said, God, help me. They were the first ones to do that. God, help me. Have you ever done that before? You're miserable. Life stinks, and you call, and you say, God, help me. What are you doing? You're saying, God's sovereignty. Come and fix my problem because I can't fix it myself. And that's why in Romans 10, 13, it says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You call on God, He will save you. Not just your soul, which is enough. He'll save you from your sickness. He'll save you from your lack of financial provisions he will save you from misery he will save you from depression he'll save you from divorce he will save you if you call on the name of the lord just a couple of final thoughts and we'll be done here but in roman excuse me in genesis 6 we skip over genesis 5 because there's a lot of this guy begat that guy and they lived 100 years and this that and the other so we jump over into genesis 6 and we see that the world has become a very, very bad place, possibly the worst that it's ever been in all of history. I don't know. But it was so bad, God was willing to wipe out the whole world. He only found one righteous man and his family. One person. Our world is not like that. There's, a, there's millions and millions of good people in our world. So I would venture to say that the world was at its worst at that point in history, possibly, but the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth. Every inclination of thoughts and human heart it was only on evil all the time. That's, that's really, that's like, <laughs> listen to this. The inclinations of the thoughts of the human heart were only on evil all the time. Man, that, that's a bad, 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 bad place to be. Verse 6, the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe out from the face of the earth the human race I've created, and with them the animals, the birds, the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. So God, God made a sovereign decision, and it was the first age of the earth. He started it, and he ended it. God's sovereignty. And he does that in our lives. You have seasons in your life where God starts something, then he ends something, and he starts something new. And it's God's sovereignty. And, and we're in the middle of that season or whatever, griping at God and complaining, saying it's not over yet. Keep going through this season. It will come to an end, and something new will happen for you. But don't give up. So we see that God has total sovereignty over times, and there's all kinds of scriptures that, that prove that to be. But then in Genesis 6, 8, Noah, this man, he finds fa favor in God's eyes, and um, he's a righteous man. He's blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Why was Noah righteous? Because he walked with God. He walked with God. See, when you walk with God, God rubs off on you righteousness starts coming to you 
You can't make you can't be righteous of your own. It only comes from God. So you hang out with a source of all righteousness and that righteousness starts getting on you and in you and in your thoughts and you start changing because you're walking with God. And so uh, here uh, God says, I'm about to destroy the world, Noah. Verse 14. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you're to build it. And so God says, destruction is coming, but I'm going to offer you salvation. And I'm telling you, eventually this world is going to be destroyed. Eventually you and I are going to die, whether through destruction or natural causes. We need salvation, and we need it now. (laughs) We need salvation, and we need it now. And God's offering, he sovereignly says, I'm giving you salvation. Will you take it? Will you take it? Because here it is. It's free. I'm giving it to you. Do you want it? And what did Noah do? He obeyed God. He built the ark, and he got into the ark. (laughs) God's given you his son, Jesus Christ, and he's saying, here's salvation. Will you take it? And all you have to do is open your heart and let Jesus come into your life, and he starts fixing all the problems that you have, all the weaknesses that you have all the difficulties. He starts helping you and taking care of those things. So I want to read to you just these 12 observations from these first four chapters of Genesis. They're on the back of your reading sheet too. And I'm just going to read them to you really quick. God sovereignly initiated and created all things. God initially sovereignly initiated and created all things. There's nothing in your life that you can start on your own. God initiates things. You want to start a business? Let God start your business for you. Work with him. Do what he tells you. But don't go off on your own and do your own thing. Let God initiate what needs to be initiated. Maybe you need to go to college. Let God guide you into university. If it's time to retire, let God lead you into retirement and don't do it on your own. All right? Let God initiate things for you and and stop trying to do it on your own. Number two, the sovereignty of God's word embodies actions and results. And so what that what does that mean? Remember that centurion that said, just speak the word, God, and my servant will be healed. God's word means action. So when you hear from God, you're hearing about action that's just about to take place. The Bible says that uh, God does nothing save Uh, announcing it to his servant, the prophets. He tells you stuff before it happens, so listen to God, and you'll start seeing action in in work there. Uh, Number three, God's sovereignty is good, and it is what we should most desire. Everything God created, he said, this was good. This is good. The light was good. The earth was good. The plants were good. The humans were good. He said it was good. So God's sovereignty is good. Number four, God's sovereignty in no way is predetermines our outcomes. We predetermine our outcomes. You make your own decisions. If you make the right decisions for Jesus, your life will be really good. You'll have problems. You'll have difficulties. But God will help you through those problems and difficulties. Number five, we are created in God's image, and he's given us sovereign choice. We choose life or we choose death. It's up to you. It's up to you. He's offered it to you, either one. Number six, our own choices can affect other people's eternity. This is the hardest thing for me to grasp. But if I do the wrong things, I affect my kids, and I affect their kids' kids, and I affect people at work and my neighbors. 
if I'm not careful, I could affect someone's eternal state. <laughs> I better be focused on what I need to be focused on, Jesus, because he will help me to, to, to have the right impact on people. Number seven, God um, does predetermine our purpose and our giftings in life. The greatest satisfaction in life is to discover and fulfill God's sovereign plan for my life. That's the best and highest thing in the world. I don't have time for anything else. Number eight, God has given us creative freedom and has supercharged it when we plug, into our, plug our faith into God. You want to be creative, innovative, unbelievable human being? Plug your faith into God, and he's going to set you on a course of unbelievable accomplishment. Number nine, if we live within God's sovereignty, we have no shame. Evil, number 10, evil is a reality in our world, but God is our, has always intended for us to have dominion over evil. Number 11, God's sovereignty tests us sometimes to see what is in our hearts. And number 12, in his sovereignty, God extends mercy to us no matter what we've done and, has an, and, and, and also has an unshakable plan of daily salvation for you. How many times have I gotten saved? Thousands of times I've gotten saved. I ask Jesus to save me all the time. <laughs> I am being saved. I was saved. I'm being saved. And someday I will be permanently saved. <laughs>